Today, I wanted to touch on the subject called the purpose, the purpose of life, the purpose of life, the purpose for life. And uh, the Bible tells us, this is really the only religious writing that tells us with absolute confidence and authority where we come from. It's the only religious writings that tells us with absolute confidence where we are going to. And it's the only religious writings that with confidence tells us why we are here. And so that's what we want to talk about. The answer is very simple, very clear. We exist for the glory of God, not for the glory of man. The reason people get offended at absolutely everything in this world is because their life is more focused upon them than what it is upon God. The more you live for His glory, the less you will be living for yourself. The more you live for His glory, the less offended you will be when you don't get what you believe you deserve. And um, the less thin-skinned we will be about absolutely everything because when we live for His glory is when we, in fact, become free. And we're going to talk about this today. In 1 Corinthians 10.31, he boils it down all the way to the most basic part of life. He says this, whatever you do, whether it is what you eat or whether what you drink, do everything for the glory of God. So if we have to do the most basic mundane things for the glory of God, then everything else is swallowed up in it. So if you have to do everything to the glory of God, if that's what God requires of you and I, to do everything we do for His glory, then the glory of God is the most important thing about us. He wouldn't give us a priority, the highest priority, and then say, yet that is not what your life is about. No. Your highest priority that He has given you is a, is a clue as to what life is all about. Now, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through, 5, through 14 is a list of all the spiritual blessings that are yours and mine in Christ Jesus. And uh, so this is a collection of riches that comes to us when we become Christians, when we are born again. This, these are, this is the treasure chest of everything that you and I receive when, in fact, we are born again. So what I'd like to do is, um, I'd like to make sure that we understand what we read when we read it. This is one of the most famous portions of Christians who actually do read the Bible, yet for most part, people don't understand what they're reading. And so, uh, you know, humor me in this, that when we do this, as we go line upon line, that these riches will be, uh, will be discovered, and they will not just enrich our lives, but transform us in a big way. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1, and let's start with, with verse 3. This used to be my favorite portion until I realized I didn't understand it. Now is my favorite verse again. <laughs> Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Now, I've been taught to preach this in a very strange way. That whatever I would view as a blessing, I would claim for myself because surely this verse says that I have it. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with what? Every blessing. But the way you define every blessing matters 
Because if you misinterpret that term, every blessing, if you don't know what that involves, you would misinterpret this promise. You would hold on to things that were not given to you, like red Ferraris, right? So then Paul begins right after making this big announcement that, hey, by the way, everybody, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Praise God. He says, now let's go through these blessings. He lists them right after that. It starts in verse 4. He says, just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him. There's the first blessing. Just as he chose us. Election, blessing, is blessing number one. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him. That's what He chose you unto, to be holy and without blame before Him. The whole process is going to be through the cross, but the end game is going to be you're going to be holy and blameless before the Father. And this is what we call the glorification of the believer. The glorification of the believer. You see, when you were born again, you believe and you repented. That born-again experience set in motion many wonderful things. For instance, your redemption, your justification, your adoption, your glorification, your sanctification. So you might go like, what is that? In a nutshell, your redemption means you were redeemed. You go to the store and you redeem something by paying for it, right? So when you were redeemed, it means that you were paid for. And what were you, what were you purchased out of? Sin and death. So, your redemption took place because you were born again. You were purchased. Your justification took place, meaning you were declared justified. It's a legal term. Justification is used in the court systems. You were, you were declared justified, just like a judge declares a person is not guilty, so God the ultimate judge in the course of heaven declared you not guilty. Your adoption took place, meaning you were given the right to sonship in God's family. Your glorification took place, meaning you, a fallen sin-sick human, dead in your sins, were made alive in Christ and now stand before God holy and blameless. Your sanctification took place. He, he cleansed you. God looks at you and he sees Christ. So justification, sanctification, redemption, adoption, glorification, all these happen the moment you repent and believe. You repent and believe those things are yours. Yeah, but I still have a bad habit. Those things are yours. Yeah, but I'm still not perfect. Those things are all yours in Christ. Not because of you, but because of Christ. You see? However, it continues and it says... Verse 4, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him. In love, there's blessing number two. Every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, there's blessing number two. In love, having predestined us, there's blessing number three. To adoption, there's blessing number four. As sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. You see, here comes the reason after this now. He's about to tell us the reasons as to why all of what I just mentioned happened to you? Why in the world did he decide that when you believe, when you have faith, 
When you repent, all of that becomes yours immediately in Christ. Why did he do this? Now remember, we're talking about the purpose for your life, right? Why did he do all of that for you? Well, verse 6 says, To the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. To the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. To the praise of his glory. He did all of that so he may be glorified. It says in verse 7, In him we have redemption. There's blessing number 5. Through the blood, the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness is blessing number 6. According to the riches of the grace which he made to abound toward us all. Wisdom. Blessing number 7. And prudence. That is blessing number 8, which is insight. He gave you a revelation of him, of, his, of, of everything that he's doing for you. How he's going to redeem you. How he's going to justify you. How he's going to adopt you. How he's going to glorify you. He gives you the, this revelation of it all right there. That's blessing number nine. According to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance. Blessing number 10. What a fantastic blessing being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things together to the counsel of his will. So why did we obtain this wonderful inheritance? And to what end did he predestine us? What was God's purpose for all of that? He just tells us in this next verse that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of what? His glory. Can you see that? to the praise of His glory. says it second time. Everything given to us is so He may be glorified. Everything He did for us is so that He may be glorified. Guess what? We come into a conclusion as to why what has happened to us has happened to us and why He did it and why we are here. To the praise of His glory. All right? And so let's keep going. Verse 13. In, whom, in Him also, in Him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom you also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. And then here we go again, at the right at the end of his whole entire speech, for the third time we are told, to the praise of his glory. Again. All right, so humanists have it completely wrong. Humanists are, are so far off. And humanists are the people who, whose questions always play toward, but what about man? Humanists always look towards, yeah, but isn't, isn't man important? Isn't Everything about humanism has to do about the potential of man, the value of man, the importance of man, the achievement of man. The development of man. So therefore, the, the meaning of life is not man, his value, his potential, his comfort, or his prosperity. No, the meaning, the purpose, the significance, and the basis or the foundation of life is the glory of God. May God be glorified in every 
creature that he ever made. Now, you might go like, well, how is God glorified by a sinner who goes to hell forever? Well, the wrath of God against sin is being put on display, right? May every eye know, may all creatures know forever, that God is a just God. And that he will always balance the scale. And sin will be punished either in Christ or in hell forever. Paul introduces this portion of scripture by announcing, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blesses with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And the list of these spiritual blessings in heavenly places that we, he's referring to, therefore, includes the doctrine of election, the doctrine of God's love for his elect, the doctrine of predestination, the doctrine of adoption, the doctrine of redemption, the doctrine of forgiveness, number seven, wisdom, number eight, insight, number nine, revelation of him, who he is and what he's done for us, and the doctrine of the future of the inheritance of the inheritance in glory. In other words, our inheritance in him. So there are the 10 things he listed when he said, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. So every one of these blessings are ultimately to the praise of his glory. And I'm driving at a point here. So please follow me. This becomes the single definition of what it means to be a Christian, to live to the praise of his glory. That's what your life is about. If you've ever wondered why you are here, this is what your life is about. Your life is not about comfort. Your life is not about wealth. Your life is not about happiness. Chase happiness and you will have a miserable existence. Why? Because it's like taking a Ferrari and trying to plow with a thing. Why is that not a good idea? Because you're taking something that was not made to plow with, and you're plowing with it. When you use something outside of its context for something it was not created for, you're abusing it. And in the same way, when we... Um, when we live our lives unto a purpose that God did not design for us, we are abusing our lives. It's an abusive lifestyle. Well, I just want to be happy. I know you will never be happy. Have you ever noticed happiness lasts sometimes maybe a minute? And you're going to chase that inconsistent thing for the rest of your life? <laughs> That's the foolish, most foolish thing you could ever do. All you want for your children is happiness. No, that's a foolish thing. What you want is for your children to know what the ultimate purpose in life is because in pursuing it and in so doing, everything else comes into place. Nobody more content and filled with joy than somebody who's glorifying God in the moment they stand in. That is a fulfilling moment. Doing something for God, connecting an eternal value to what you just did, 
that is where fulfillment and significance comes from. But if, but if pleasure is what we are after, trust me, it's empty. Pleasure and happiness, not the same thing. Happiness and joy, not the same thing. Happiness and fulfillment, not the same thing. You will see people who have chased pleasure all their life always end up being the most miserable of all. That's what pleasure brings. Have you seen a 60-year-old prostitute? This does not work out. Have you seen somebody who keeps on throwing away relationships because the one they have doesn't keep them happy? They end up alone and lonely and miserable. It's the glory of God we have to chase after. It's the glory of God we have to prioritize or else nothing else will actually fall into place. So this becomes the single definition of what it means to be a Christian. When you and I give him glory, we're not adding something to him. Somebody goes like, why would God need all the glory? He demands to be the only God. He demands we deny ourselves and follow him. He demands that we see him as the first and the last. He's everything. There's none like him. And now he demands all the glory like a narcissist. Um, we have to realize when we give him glory, we are not adding anything to him. It's not like God is sitting up in heaven lacking something, missing something, waiting for you to give him glory so that he can be complete. He's not made complete by us glorifying him. We are made complete. <laughs> we are the ones fulfilling our purposes when we glorify him, right? So it really works the other way around. He is so humble. If anybody thinks he's a narcissist, let me tell you, he is so humble that when we deserved hell, he chose to give us a purpose so great that we would be healed by it. And that is to glorify him with the life that we have. So he lacks nothing. He depends on nothing. He doesn't depend on our, our glorifying him. He needs no one, as taught according to the doctrine of a seity of God. However, our purpose is to declare his glory and to manifest his glory. And that right there makes for a glorious life. Because of their sin, Adam and Eve became disconnected from God's glory. And scripture says that we've all sinned and we all fall short of God's glory in the same way Adam has. He only represented who we truly are. He didn't misrepresent us. He represented us accurately that every single one of us fell into sin. Every one of us would have done exactly what Adam did had we been in his shoes. And so we've all sinned. We all fall short of his glory. However, God's glory returned to the earth. Remember when Adam and Eve were kicked out? There was an angel that stopped standing at the gate. No one was able to pass the angel to get back to the tree of life because there are two trees, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which, what, which they ate from. They were never supposed to have knowledge of evil. And then there was the tree of life. And if anybody ate from the tree of life, they would live forever. Well, now there was this angel that stopped Adam and Eve. They couldn't get back into the garden in order to eat from the tree of life and come back 
to eternal life. However, God's glory has returned. And God's glory came back in Jesus, who is now our tree of life. It says that in Revelation, that if you repent, then He will let you eat from the tree of life and live forever. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. So God's glory returned in the form of Jesus Christ. The tree of life is now available for you and I to eat from and live forever. Your and my glorification is our reconnection to God's glory through Jesus Christ. So what does this mean to you and me? What is this? How do we put feet to these thoughts? Why do I have to give God glory? Do everything for, your, for, for my glory, he says. This is the basic worldview, therefore, of the believer. There are two kinds of people in the world. Those who give God glory, of course, and then, then there are those that don't, right? For most part, those who don't give God glory usually do so because they're giving themselves glory. So God desires for you and I to glorify Him because that is the only path to being glorified. And the interesting thing is, watch this quick. The interesting thing is that God receives glory all the time. For instance, the Bible tells us that He receives glory from His creation. Psalm 19 verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament also um, interpreted as the expanse or the sky shows his handiwork. All you have to do is look up. So the heavens declare the glory of God. Secondly, we see that God receives glory from the beasts of the field. It says in Isaiah 43 verse 20, the animals of the field will glorify me. Then thirdly, we see that God receives glory from the angels. Luke 2, 13 and 14, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Angels glorify God. Beasts of the field glorify God. The creation glorifies God. The universe glorifies God. Everything glorifies God that He, was, that he created. However, it is only man that refuses to do so. <laughs> it's only man. We get so involved with ourselves. And we get so involved with our own pain. And we get so involved with our own lot in life. And we get so involved with the Joneses. And we're so preoccupied with this world right here. We cannot see the priority of this life, which is to glorify God, and therefore we exchange it. The moment we exchange it, things happen to us and in us. That is very devastating. Extremely devastating. What I want to do is I want to show you three examples of how uh, man does not glorify God. And of course, then what happens to them when they don't. The first is we see in Romans chapter 1 how people refuse to glorify God. I want to read it to you quick. In verse 20, it says, For since the creation of the world, his visible attributes are clearly seen. Okay, so what's he saying here? He's saying all you have to do is look out the window. When you see the creation you will know that he is a great creator, right? So he says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood 
by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. There is not one person with an excuse who could say, I didn't know there was a God. I didn't know there was a creator. No one is without an excuse. No one is, has an excuse. It says, verse 21, because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God. Although they knew God, they did not do what? They didn't glorify Him. Nor were they thankful, but because became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God. What did they change about God? His glory. They changed His glory and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Verse 24, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness. It's God's abandoning wrath or wrath of abandonment. In the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. And then it explains men giving themselves to men, women giving themselves to women, which is unnatural. And this here, folks, is the wrath of God on society. If you want to see the wrath of God, I love how Dave clarified some things about what's the, what's the most wrathful picture you can see of God. You would think that it was Adam and Eve chased out of the garden, expelled. You would think that it was the flood of Noah. And this was the wrath of God. You would think it's Sodom and Gomorrah. You would think it's all these large events that happened throughout his... But the, the, the greatest display of the wrath of God was the cross. Why? Because it was the wrath of God upon the only one that never deserved any of it. Right? Adam and Eve deserved it. Everybody in Sodom and Gomorrah deserved it. The whole generation in Noah's time deserved it. But here we have Jesus, the one who never deserved anything, receiving all of the wrath of God. So here we see in Romans chapter 1, the wrath of God is revealed to men. That's what it says in the beginning of this portion of Scripture. And it says, because they did not glorify Him, because they did not glorify God, God took them and he, uh, and he gave them over to their lusts. This is where homosexuality comes from. This is where lesbianism comes from. This is where transgenderism comes from. It is the wrath of God on display. And all of that, why? Because they refused to glorify God. They rather glorified their own emotions, desires, lusts. So a simple way of understanding fallenness is the disposition that refuses to give God glory. When somebody refuses to give God glory, that's an accident waiting for a place to happen. People refuse to give God glory. Things just go wrong from there on out. In relationships, in life in general, people go like, where did this come from? Well, it came from not glorifying God. Here's an example. Herod refused to glorify God. Watch this. This is quite fascinating. So Herod has this dream, right? And um, he was the most powerful man in the earth at the time. Excuse me. I'm thinking about Nebuchadnezzar. Herod was the most powerful man at the time. 
He didn't have a dream, but he was angry with the people of, of Tyre and Sidon. And um, in, in order to, mm, what's the word, butter him up, they encouraged him to create like a Herod day, you know, a day of remembrance, a day of honoring, a day of worshiping at Herod's feet. So let's read from verse 20 and we see what happens to Herod because he played into it, right? He played into being honored and glorified in that way. So verse 20, it says, Now Herod was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. So they sent a delegation to make peace with him because their cities were dependent upon Herod's country for food. The delegates, here they're buttering him up, won the support of Blastus, Herod's uh, personal assistant, and an appointment with Herod was granted. When the day arrived, Herod put on his royal robes, sat on his throne, made a speech to them. The people gave him great ovation, shouting, It's the voice of a God, not a man. It's the voice of a God, not a man. Instantly, watch this, an angel of the Lord struck Herod with sickness because he accepted the people's worship instead of giving the glory to God. What did he not do? He did not give God the glory for the seat he was sitting in. He did not give God the glory for his ability to feed the world at that time. He took it to himself. It says, instantly an angel of the Lord struck Herod with sickness. Why? Because he accepted the people's worship instead of giving the glory to God. So he was consumed with worms and died. It's implied that he was standing on that platform or sitting on his seat on that platform and they were shouting, it's the voice of a God, not a man, the voice of a God. He sat there. He was struck. I don't know if it was leprosy or what it was, but it was visible and worms ate him on that platform. He sat right in front of them. Those who glory themselves... Those who glory themselves don't know what awaits them. My third example, Nebuchadnezzar, also at the time, in Daniel's time, was the most powerful man in the world. He refused to glorify God. Remember what he did? He took Shadrach, Mishkan, and Abednego, who did not want to bow before him, threw them in the fire. And uh, the fourth man showed up. And of course, God protected them. At that point, he turns to the God of, of Shadrach, Mishkan, and Abednego, and Daniel, he says, everybody needs to worship this God, but then he turns again. Now look at what happens in verse 28. After he gets this dream, after Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he gets this dream. And the dream is this, that in the land, in the middle of the land, there is a tree that is enormous. It reaches all the way to the skies. And the whole non-world could see that tree. This is what he's dreaming. And because this tree is so enormous, birds from all over the world come around and nest in that tree. And then people came and animals came from everywhere and took shelter underneath this tree. Only then for a messenger from heaven to arrive and to declare, cut that thing down. Cut it down. Cut all the branches down. Cut down the whole tree. Just leave the root. And he, whoever he is, that tree represents somebody, let he, let him have no longer have the mind of a man, 
but the mind of an animal. For seven times, and let him be covered with the dew of the earth, and let him eat the grass like the beasts. What a crazy dream. What a crazy dream. I had a dream the other day that there was a tall pastor with blonde hair with a little dog on a leash. And this little dog, while we were talking, kept on biting me on my, on my ankles. And I'm like trying to listen to this guy and kicking his dog, not trying to hurt his feelings. Not the dog's feelings, but his feelings for kicking his dog. But his dog kept on biting me. And I, every time I woke up, I'm like, what a ridiculous dream. Went back to sleep, dreamed again. Went back to sleep, dream it again. I'm like, unbelievable. I'm getting up, making coffee. <laughs> Just a nagging dream. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar had this nagging dream. He needed to know the interpretation of it. Trust me, don't give me an interpretation. I'm not interested. <laughs> and um, a tall minister with blonde hair. Do you have a dog, Dave? <laughs> so, he'll try to this. so he wants to know what his dream was all about so he calls all these wise men couldn't tell him anything he knows daniel can he calls daniel let's pick it up in verse 28 it says all this happened to king nebuchadnezzar 12 months later well let me just tell you daniel comes to king nebuchadnezzar says don't be joyful over this dream don't be intrigued that tree is you because you won't give God glory. You're the one that's going to get cut off, cut down. And for seven times, you will have the mind of an animal instead of the mind of a human. And you'll live like a wild beast in the fields. This is Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest, most powerful man in the world. Pick it up, verse 28. It says, all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he says, is this not the great Babylon I've built? as the royal residence, by my might, by my mighty power and the glory of my majesty. Can you believe that he's saying this after he saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? After he had the dream and Daniel interpreted it for him. He says this, is this, is not this, the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. Verse 31, even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from the people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like, an, like the ox. Seven times will pass for you until you acknowledge, acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms of the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. God was making a point. If somebody is in authority, guess where they got that from? God. He says it right here. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms of the earth and gives those kingdoms to anyone He wishes. If there is an evil king, it's God's Judgment on that nation. It's God who gives them, gives that king to them. Verse 33, immediately what, he, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. 
His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes at the end of seven times, I believe it's seven years. Nebuchadnezzar raised his eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. My sanity was restored. It's an amazing thing how when people glorify themselves instead of God, they start thinking with, broken mind, with a broken mind. They can't think straight. They can't have clear priorities. Nothing works out for them in their mind. The most sane, the, the best thing you can do for your own mind is glorify God. So he says, verse 34, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. God deals very harshly with those who do not give him glory, but glory themselves. Why do we sometimes feel like people trivialize us and then we have a hard time with it? Just talking out of personal experience. Why do I sometimes feel slighted and I'm like, muffed? <laughs> How dare they? Because I assumed something that wasn't really mine. I don't live, I shouldn't be living for that. I shouldn't be living for praise. I shouldn't be living to be agreed with. <laughs> that's not, that's not why. Uh, that's not the purpose of my life to win every argument, right? It's not the purpose of my life to prove that I'm better than anybody. It's not the purpose of, the purpose of my life is to glorify God. So our final example where scripture calls us to glorify God is in the book of Revelation. And here we find the eternal message of heaven. Heaven has an eternal message. And here it is, Revelation 14, 6 and 7a. It says, then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel preached to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying, is the everlasting gospel preached, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory. Fear God and give glory to Him. You see, to the glory of God, or to glorify God, is the capstone of life. It's the ultimate call in my life and your life. It is the final conclusion of life. Me being happy is not the capstone of my life. It is not the priority. It is not my goal to live toward. Glorifying God is my goal, the highest priority of my life. So how do we glorify God? I'll close with this. See, we do not add anything to God when we glorify Him because He's already complete, missing nothing. We do not change anything about God because He is already immutable. He never changes. Here are six ways we ought to glorify God. Number one, obey His commands. Do what, we, do what He has called us to do, including obeying the Great Commission. Number two, imitate His ways. In love, in commitment, selflessness, in baptism, in marriage, follow him. How so in marriage? He wasn't married. Yes, he is to his church. When she's unfaithful, he remains faithful. Reflect his character. How so? In humility and faithfulness. Honor him. How? By your prioritizing of him in your life. That's how you honor somebody. You make them the priority. 
we've bought into a lie thinking that honoring somebody is an emotional exercise. To honor, when I honor somebody, it's not an emotional exercise. It's a matter of priority. I actually go to my, my calendar and I schedule things. That's how I honor somebody. That's why many people can't schedule God. Why? Because they don't honor Him, right? More important things always come up. Let me say it again. More important things always come up. Let me tell you, it's not more important. It's just you honor something or someone else other than God. So we know to honor Him is to obey Him. To honor Him is to imitate His ways. The way he loves, the way he's committed, the way he is selfless. To honor him is to reflect his character, how humble he is, how faithful he is. To honor him is to, uh, excuse me, to, uh, to glorify him is to honor him by prioritizing him. Number five, to glorify him is to acknowledge him. In all your ways, acknowledge him. How, how do I do that? Credit him. With everything this is of God that is of God that is of God this is of God the word is of God this day is of God God I thank you for everything that I do have and even in the midst of suffering I thank you think about every spiritual blessing that I have in heavenly places there's a lot to thank him for because you didn't have to be a part of those whom he came to save. Acknowledge him. And then finally, number six, declare his greatness. He is God. He is Lord. He is King. He reigns. He rules. He is great. So the way we glorify God is we obey him we imitate his ways, we reflect his character, we honor him, we acknowledge him, and we declare his greatness. Let's pray. Father, today, I pray that you help us make adjustments in our lives. It might be with regards to what we view as valuable, important, and most important. It might be regarding our priority, how we spend our days and our time, where we spend our minds, it might be regarding how we have chosen to obey your commands by submitting to you or imitate your ways by, by choosing to become more loving or more com committed or more selfless. Or maybe just to reflect your character in a greater way so that when people see us, they're reminded of Christ. Lord, that we will honor you as we prioritize you, that we realize Really, nothing else is more important than him, so we can't really say we had other important things to do. But we put you first. We acknowledge you. Lord, just like Nebuchadnezzar acknowledged himself for the powerful kingdom that he was the head of, so we acknowledge you instead as we look down the corridors of human history. We acknowledge you in all things. And we declare, God, you are great. Lord Jesus, you are king and you rule and you reign. Not just in our lives, but in all of the world and through all of eternity. Amen. Amen. Did you get something out of the word?